You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the third chapter of John, verses 1 to 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Mr. Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This morning we continue with our series on the gospel according to Mark. And we've come to verses 28 to 30 of chapter 3. Let's now read that together. Here we hear the words of our Lord Jesus. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, He has an evil spirit. Beloved congregation, Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1994, 800,000 people were tragically slaughtered in the African country of Rwanda. 
In his powerful book, Shake Hands with the Devil, the retired Canadian general, Romeo Dallaire, explained how this genocide took place. An extremist radio station in the capital city of Kigali played a key role. The radio station, RTLM, was controlled by the Hutus. The Hutus. And they used it as an instrument to stir up hate against the Tutsis. And one of the ways they did this was by calling them a name. Inyenzi. Cockroaches. And in due time, the call was issued over the airwaves of RTLM to begin exterminating the cockroaches. The seeds for genocide were sown in this name-calling. After all, if your opponents are cockroaches, then you've taken away their humanity. They're not people. They're insects. You can do with them as you please. You see it over and over again in history. The first steps to Holocaust and genocide are always the dehumanizing of the other. First you strip them of their dignity, of their humanity, and then you can rob, you can rape, you can torture, you can murder them. And what's even better, you can do it with a clear conscience. Because they're not people. A similar thing was happening with the Lord Jesus in our text. Last week we saw that it started with those who were closest to him. His own family was saying that he'd gone crazy. He was out of his mind. The teachers of the law, they took things a step further. He's not crazy. He's possessed by Beelzebub. The teachers of the law claimed that Satan was living in Jesus. They claimed that that Jesus looked to the power of Satan to be able to do all of his miracles. Looked to the power of the prince of demons to cast out demons. So they claimed. In the following verses, as we saw last time, the Lord Jesus gave several reasons why that's completely ludicrous. His first point is that Satan would never work against himself that way. And then he gave a picture of what's going on, a picture of a home invasion. Christ has Satan all tied up. The healing work of the Lord Jesus, his exorcisms are positive proof that the kingdom of God is breaking through. The Lord Jesus is stripping Satan of all his power and bringing freedom to the captives. And all of this sets the stage for what we hear Christ saying in our text about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been mentioned before in the book of Mark. The beginning of the gospel, the Holy Spirit descended on the Lord Jesus like a dove. We therefore know that the Holy Spirit has an intimate connection to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, the one who proceeds from the Father and the Son. The same Holy Spirit, He led the Savior out into the desert to be tempted by Satan. Shortly after that, we see the power of our Lord Jesus over the evil spirits. 
With all this, Mark wants us to be clear about one thing, and that's who Jesus Christ is. Who He is for us. And that's also the bottom line in our text. So this morning I preached to you God's Word with the theme, as part of His self-revelation, Christ solemnly warns against blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And we'll see, first of all, the identity of this sin, second, the character of this sin, and then finally, we'll look at the prevention of this sin. Well, we all know that blasphemy is something that's bad. Blasphemy is usually understood as talking about God in a disrespectful way, using abusive language to or about God. In our text, the Lord Jesus speaks about blasphemy. First time is in verse 28. Loved ones, this is where we find good news in our text. Unfortunately, it's often overlooked because of what follows, and people's mind and attention goes right away to what follows. But listen to what he says. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. Christ couldn't have been more comprehensive, all-inclusive than this. Every sin you do, every blasphemy you have spoken, let's not kid ourselves, some of us have spoken blasphemies, it can and will be forgiven. And of course, we know that this forgiveness, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now ponder the depth of God's grace here for a moment. No matter what you've done, there is God's grace for you in Christ. You may have committed sins that are so shameful that they're known only by God. He promises you grace, pardon. The Lord Jesus stood among the covenant people as the fulfillment of all God's promises. He stood there and he spoke these words as the ultimate manifestation of God's grace. He proclaims to his people, also to you this morning, there is forgiveness for every sin and blasphemy through me. Every sin and blasphemy. Except one. Verse 28 is very comprehensive. But the comprehensiveness of verse 28 draws our attention like a magnet to the one exception in verse 29. There is a sin that can never be forgiven. And that one sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now let's reflect for a moment on what this sin is. The clue to the identity of this sin is found in verse 30. There Mark tells us that he said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. The Lord Jesus gave the warning in our text because the teachers of the law had claimed that he was possessed by Beelzebub. In fact, what was happening was that the, the Pharisees, they identified Jesus with the kingdom of Satan. And in so doing, they, they not merely 
They didn't merely dehumanize him, but they also stripped him of his royal dignity and his divinity. They would not allow for the Holy Spirit of God to live in this man. In their minds, this Jesus of Nazareth was not worthy of being treated as a human being, much less as the Son of God Himself in whom lived the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in our text was a deliberate and intentional mischaracterization of the Lord Jesus and His work. The teachers of the law could see that Satan was being deposed. They knew their Old Testaments, and in their hearts, they knew Christ's true identity. Last week, we noted what the what Nicodemus said to the Lord Jesus in John 3, and we just read those words again. The Pharisees knew that he had been sent by God. They deliberately and they willfully distorted, twisted the truth about who he is. They purposely characterized his work and the work of the Spirit as being the work of the evil one. They were filled with a hatred for God's grace, being shown to the demon-possessed, to the sick, and to the sinful. They couldn't handle God's compassion being manifested in Christ. And so, what did they do? They turned against Him with a wild passion. This wasn't an accident, and it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an oversight on their part. Teachers of the law knew very well what they were doing. And you can imagine how Satan looked at this turn of events. You can imagine his glee. The Son of God being caricatured as a partner with demons. The Spirit of God was being portrayed as a demon. Without knowing the final outcome of the story, one might be led to wonder what would become of God's promise to crush the head of the serpent. At this point, again, if you don't know the end of the story... It looks like things are moving in the opposite direction. But here again, there's irony. Because God would use even this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He would use it to deliver the final crushing blow. People would believe these dehumanizing and degrading comments about the Lord Jesus, and they would deliver Him up to death. But this would ultimately serve for the salvation of God's people, is elect. And the true Israel of God would know their Savior. They would know, as we do, that Jesus Christ came to bring forgiveness for all the sins and blasphemies of men. All the Israel of God would know His grace, see His open arms. And so the identity of this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a deliberate identifying of the person and work of Christ with the evil one. Now let's consider further the character and the the seriousness of this sin. We all know that people are inclined to exaggerate. Sometimes we use words like never rather flippantly. 
We say things like, our kids would never do something like that. And then lo and behold, our kids can and they did do something like that. Now, never is a pretty strong word, and sometimes we forget that. However, in our text, the Lord Jesus uses that word, never, and he means it. He says that whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And just in case we missed the point, just in case we've misunderstood, he adds he is guilty of an eternal sin. Or as other Bible translations have it, he is subject to eternal condemnation. Never and eternal are both very strong words. And it would be a good idea to think about why this sin is unforgivable. And we could approach this question from the angle of election and reprobation. In God's sovereignty, He has chosen some people to eternal life. We call that election. Likewise, we believe that God has passed over others. We call that reprobation. Though the exact names and numbers are known only to God, there are two, and there are only two kinds of people in this world. There are the elect, and there are the reprobate. Now the elect were chosen by God before the creation of the world. They were predestined to come to faith in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. They will be preserved in their faith until the day of their final glorification. Now listen carefully. The elect of God may at one point or another in their lives actually be opposed to God and to His work. You need only read the biographies of our forefathers in the faith to see this. Think of somebody like Abram Kuyper, famous leader in Dutch church history. Abram Kuyper, as a student, mocked, laughed at, the literal historical resurrection of Christ. He did that before he was converted. You can also see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul states that he was formerly, what? A blasphemer. But he was shown mercy. God brought him to faith. And he repented of his opposition to the gospel, his opposition to Christ. That doesn't happen with the reprobates. Reprobates were passed over by God. They will never believe the gospel message. At certain points, they may seem to soften in their opposition. They may seem for a a while to be open to the gospel. But in the end, they remain outside of Christ. We can be sure that all who blaspheme the Holy Spirit in the manner spoken of by the Lord Jesus in our text are reprobate. But the reverse does not necessarily hold true. Not all those who are reprobate will blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And here we can think of the countless millions who have died without even hearing about Christ. They were reprobate. But they did not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They couldn't. 
because they weren't able to form an opinion of Christ and His work. What we can say for certain is that blasphemers against the Holy Spirit are reprobate. Our text tells us as much. But why? We have to be careful here because we are coming close to the secret things of God. Nevertheless, consider that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is like stubbornly believing something against all the evidence to the contrary. No matter what anybody else says, you're going to keep your head high, you're going to hold your position right to the bitter end. In your pride, you're completely blind to the truth. In the case of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, you believe that Jesus Christ is the devil. Or at least that Jesus Christ is on the side of the devil. And you believe that the works of Jesus Christ are evil. And you hate them. You believe that His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a demon. It's like if you have a life-threatening illness that requires immediate surgery. And you firmly decide that the only doctor who can give you a life-saving operation is really a sadistic murderer. And you don't want him coming anywhere near you with a scalpel. And you know this. Because you've studied all the psychological characteristics of sadistic murderers. And you know one when you see one. You're the expert. And once you pridefully commit yourself to that belief, you're not going to give up. You're locked into that position from which there is no exit. You see, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin because it is so utterly heinous and so evil that it can only come from a reprobate heart. A heart that has set itself against God. A heart that has been hardened against God. This sin can only come from those who have in their pride totally and utterly set themselves against Jesus Christ. Such people are consumed with their hatred for Christ and for His works. That's why this sin cannot be forgiven. Such people will never be led to repentance and faith. Now, why do you think the Lord Jesus has given us these strong words? I'll tell you one thing. It's not so that we can look around us and we can try to point fingers and we can try to figure out who has committed this sin. Nor did the Lord Jesus give us these words to scare us. Rather, He wants us to fix our eyes on Him. To focus on Him. Christ wants us to love Him and to think rightly about His person and His works. That's where we're going with our last point this morning as we consider the prevention of this sin. You know, it's a, it's a well-known fact that many Christians have found this passage very troubling. To take just one well-known example, the Puritan author John Bunyan 
the author of Pilgrim's Progress and other books. John Bunyan struggled deeply with the question of whether or not he had blasphemed the Holy Spirit and so committed the unforgivable sin. He struggled and struggled. and A long period of time passed before he finally had the peace of knowing that he was safe in Christ. Now, a good number of us, maybe not all of us, but a good number anyway, have been raised in Christian homes and have likely never been consciously opposed to Christ and His work. So this may not be a concern in in our midst. Nevertheless, as we reach out into the community with the gospel, we may encounter situations where someone comes to faith in Christ after a life of kicking against the goads. What will you tell a new believer who worries that they've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, that they are therefore counted among the reprobate? There's no hope for them. Or maybe you will encounter a brother or sister who grew up in the church, grew up under the gospel, and yet has doubts, lacking in assurance. And regardless, all of us, every single one, should be interested in keeping this sin as far away from us as we possibly can. Out of thankfulness for the redemption we have in Christ, we shouldn't even want to come close to this sin. And as we've been looking here at this text, you can see that Christ's concern here is His self-revelation. This text is about who Christ is and what He does for His people. The teachers of the law, they say one thing about Christ while they, they know that the truth is the polar opposite. Passages telling God's people to pay attention to who Christ is and what He does. Christ was telling the covenant people that the way to prevent blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to listen, watch, and believe. Today, the same Christ is still speaking to His people. He tells us to read our Bibles and observe. Hear what Christ said about Himself. Look at the miracles and the healings He performed. Marvel. Be in amazement at His perfect obedience. That obedience which now belongs to you. Believe in this Lord Jesus. Faith is the sure antidote to the poison. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The one who has true faith in Christ, the one who loves Christ, will never, ever blaspheme the Holy Spirit or even come close to it. You Think about it. Faith in Christ comes from the Holy Spirit who lives in the believer. And to turn around the image of the Lord Jesus in the verses right before our text, why would the Holy Spirit ever turn on Himself? A child of God would never be able to commit a sin that cannot be forgiven. A minute ago I mentioned John Bunyan. And eventually he came to recognize that. And maybe you've heard it said before too. 
If someone is worried, concerned that they have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and committed the unforgivable sin, the fact that they're worried about it shows that they have not done that sin. It's proof. Because a person who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never, ever worry about it. They'll never be concerned about it in a genuine way. Because they simply don't care about offending Christ and offending the Holy Spirit. And if you do care, if you're worried about it, that shows that there's a place for Christ in your heart. It shows that you esteem Christ and you esteem the works He did. You can hardly imagine anything more heinous and evil than degrading Christ and putting down His works. Imagine what the teachers of the law were doing. They were stripping Christ of everything, leaving Him lower than an animal, preparing Him for the suffering and death to come. We shudder at the thought. But then, loved ones, let's also shudder at the thought of even approaching this sin by degrading Christ's ongoing work today through His Holy Spirit. Shudder at the thought of degrading or minimizing Christ's work in your fellow brothers and sisters. true, isn't it? Sometimes people will do that. Somebody says something good, something positive about a brother or sister. You're in a group together and you're talking and you say something really nice and then someone else has to pipe up, well, if you only knew the real story about so-and-so, let me tell you. And away they go. slanderously pointing out all the negative things in the lives of your brothers and sisters. That's on the track. It's on the trajectory of the sin described in our text. Instead, look for God's work, for Christ's work in your brothers and sisters. Give glory to God when you open your eyes and you see what Christ is doing in your church through His Spirit. We had also to shudder at the thought of degrading or minimizing the work Christ is still doing through the mission of the church, through its outreach. Make a determined effort to see what Christ is accomplishing in our own area and, and overseas. Christ is still at work. He's gathering, defending, and preserving believers everywhere by the power of His Word and Spirit. So if we're to stand on guard against blaspheming the Holy Spirit, doing that because we love Christ, because we're thankful to Him, let's be open to seeing that work for what it really is. Beloved congregation, Our text calls us to see Him, our Savior. To see His work rightly. And as we do this, there's enormous comfort held out for us. It's the comfort of knowing that the never, in verse 29, 
that heavy never does not apply to us. It's the comfort of knowing that the all, that beautiful, wonderful all of verse 28 does apply to us. It's the comfort of knowing that Christ suffered this humiliation and degradation at the hands of the teachers of the law so that we can belong to Him. That we can fully experience His grace and love towards us. Let's pray. Heavenly God and Father, we thank and praise You for the work of Your Son and the work of Your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. We praise You for the sufferings and the obedience of Christ our Savior. We're grateful for all that He has accomplished for us. Help us to listen, watch, and believe in Him as He is revealed in Your Word. Please grant that there would be no one among us who would ever commit this sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We pray that we would never even come close. Help us. Give us more grace so that we would see the work of the Spirit of Christ in others, both near and far. Please give us more grace so that our eyes would be open to your marvelous works among us and others. We pray in Christ and for the glory of your name. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.